0: Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. I wanted to preface this show with a little announcement I think some of you will be very happy to hear. If you remember all the way back in Episode 3, I talked with my friends Richard and Kat about Richard's Edge of the Empire-based Mass Effect game he was working on with his home group. Well, it's finally available for free for your gaming pleasure. The link will be in the show notes and on the Modifier Twitter. Let me know what you think, and if you use it with your group, we'd love to hear how it goes. This week, I sat down with Rich Renallo and Scott Leeton, and we talked about the evolution of their game Velvet Generation, from its beginnings as Star Children, Velvet Generation. This game first came out in the early 2000s and tackled such themes as musical revolution inspired by glam rock aliens in a future dystopia. A lot has changed in the world since then, and Rich and Scott felt it was finally time to update their game for 2018. We talk about what needed to change and why, both mechanically and with the setting, and how they never quite felt done with it in the first place. Perfect is the enemy of done, as they say, and I hope Rich and Scott's journey to done is as helpful to you as it was for me. Let's get to the show. Hey, heroes. This week I am joined by Rich Renallo and Scott Leeton to talk about their game Velvet Generation. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. Hey. So we're going to talk about the, the process of going back to your own game and and making a version two or, or updating it, which is something that uh, we've talked about a little bit uh, with different games on Modifier. And it's something that I really like to hear about because it's like it's such a fascinating process. And I think it's it's really helpful to hear about that evaluation process because it can be kind of daunting. So I'm really glad both of you guys are here. Before we get to talking about your game, though, would you like to introduce yourselves a little bit? Some projects you've worked on or places people might know you from?
1: Sure. Uh, as far as, uh, well, for me, probably the only project anyone would know me from is this. I haven't really worked on any other game stuff, as, at least not as a writer, but, uh, you know,
2: long-time fan, long-time nerd of all sorts. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything
0: else. <laughs> That's okay.
2: I, in addition to working on Star Children, uh, worked on the Fairy Meat games. Okay. Or... Some company. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whichever one. Yeah.
2: It's not important. And since then, I've mostly um, been just kind of doodling and having fun.
0: That's important, though.
2: And raising a dog, which is a full-time job. Oh, yeah? Yes.
0: Cool. So let's start with Star Children, mm-hmm. the first version of this game. How how did that start?
1: So I, I think we can admit this.
2: Uh, originally, it started as a joke.
0: I oh, um, It was a cool. joke.
2: More of a prank. Um, it was kind Even of like better. A, Cruel farce. It was kind of like a, if you wrote fan fiction about the real world gaming industry.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Scott and I were, were hanging out and we thought that we would try to convince people that like, this was in like 2000 or something like that, convince people that a game that didn't exist did and that it was just really, really obscure and see oh if my- like people
2: would see like how far we could uh, make that. And in, in doing so, we kind of our our fake game was our dream game. Like a game that if it existed I would
0: yeah. I would buy it. Yeah.
1: So so we, we, we got together and we wrote we wrote a review. I won't say where it's published, but it still is uh on the internet somewhere. Oh my God. Uh notable if you read the review, it bears little resemblance to the actual game. Mm-hmm. Uh and as it turned out, a lot of people, uh well, uh, by a lot, I mean like twelve. There's a uh, lot of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thought it was a really good idea, and then we thought about it more. and We're like, we're we're going to actually do this, aren't we? And we're like, yeah. So we sort of put things together, and you know, we might not have had some friends of ours not stepped in and like offered to help with it and actually get it published. And this being like the days before Kickstarter and before major yeah. like PDF releases, it was um, a lot more daunting of an effort than uh, it might have been later on. Uh so yeah, it was it was definitely
2: originally a prank. Yeah, looking so, back to the early two thousands, it was just so hard to do anything. Yeah. It was kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. Man, we don't know how good we've got it these days.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we're about to find out, but
0: <laughs> Awesome. I, I like that genesis for games a lot. I feel like um making jokes on Twitter is how I start most of my projects. So <laughs> projects as jokes and as pranks is very good. I like it a lot. Oh, yeah. So you described it as your dream game. What kind of game were you after? What kind of experience were you after? Well,
2: at the time, like, whenever I watched a movie, um, and this is still kind of true, parts that excited me or that I would want to step into were never really the parts where you were hitting things with a sword. Mm -hmm. Not that that's bad, but, you know, like, there was no... When in your real life, when you want to go out there and do things, you want to change the world or fall in love or be cool. And none of those were really priorities in any game that I played. And this kind of seemed like, also, I was really into, and still am, uh, music. And Mm. it was kind of something that is a really important part of life that you never see come up in games. They describe how, you know, dungeon fish taste, but they never describe how music sounds. Mm. So that was just kind of I'm, I'm I'm butchering that, but it, it kind of uh, felt like a, a need gaming wise that I couldn't scratch anywhere. So I kind of just expressed what I would like in an alternate universe to be a game.
0: Yeah. For early 2000s, I, I can't think of, of really many other games that were doing that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Probably the closest thing would be the World of Darkness stuff, but that's not really good analog either.
0: Yeah. Does the same go for both of you or, or what drew you two together to, to work on this?
1: Well, I mean, we've been we've friends for a uh, really yeah. long time and so a lot of this was us like sitting around watching, you know, Velvet Goldmine for the third time that year or um and just uh hatching ideas like that. I think that like we were sort of in a place where we were like coming up with just like various gonzo ideas uh, <laughs> a lot and this one just seemed to it seemed to be the right balance between like it had enough Similar, I don't want to say tropes because I don't like that word, but uh, it had enough similar elements that like people could instantly recognize what you were supposed to be doing, mm. but it was kind of mashing them together in a way that seemed pretty new. And I think that, you know, for me, my like gaming experience, especially with RPGs, I've been like the GM in most of the groups that I'm with. So I tend to, every time I look at something, uh, be spinning up like, epic ideas of the 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 huge stories that you might get to like play or run with them and then Mm -hmm. uh, very rarely actually following through with them Uh, so seeing this it was like you know we got to like sort of spin that story and it sort of traveled into the way we narrated the setting too because we did this thing in the first edition where all of the setting material for the players was told looking back but it was basically written as if it was after all of this stuff had happened and after the regime had fallen. And it was like a documentary about it. Um, so we got to tell the story from, like, we got to have the whole arc in our minds even before we,
2: like, laid it out to anybody. That was kind of my, like. Yeah, it had a sort of VH1 behind the music, kind of. Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So so what is a story in Star Children? Like what, what is the regime that's fallen? Like what happens? So
2: yeah, I I mean
1: background on just sort of like where things are kind of at the at the beginning. And this is one of the elements that we're really focusing on representing better in mm-hmm. the new iteration of it. Yeah. So the story is basically that there's a you know a planet on the other side of the galaxy picks up radio and TV signals that emanated off of Earth from the 1970s, and they discover rock and roll, um, mm. basically. That's sort of a shorthand for, you know, they discover a lot of very interesting, creatively vibrant things uh, mm-hmm. about
2: this planet that's, you know, to them, impossibly distant. Oh, and, and just to say that, that happens instantly due to some cosmic phenomena or something. So they're, they're listening to it in the 70s when we're... Right.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So they, they fall in love with this idealized image of Earth that they have in their minds, and eventually... Some or all of them, it's not really clear, uh, get on a uh, sort of generation spaceship to come here. They know that none of them will survive. None of the ones getting on the ship will survive the journey, but their descendants mm-hmm. will, uh, as sort of like a pilgrimage to the homeland of rock and roll. Um, mm. But it takes them so long to get here that it is some unspecified time in the future. I think it was 2173 in the original that we might be changing that. But
2: uh, that was back when we thought it took a really long time for the world to go downhill. Right. Yeah, that's,
0: that's yep.
2: also informing it um by the time now, they get here now it's uh, set in 2017 <laughs> which was Last year, uh, by
1: the time they get here rock music has been outlawed the entire world is under the heel of the ministries of culture specifically the ministry of music uh, mm-hmm. which is what has stamped out popular rebellious music of all types and they're stuck here. So they come to earth. They try to blend in. They're not very good at blending in because they're incredibly glam mm-hmm. and they uh, sort of spark the revolution that eventually takes down the regime. So yeah, from the perspective of reading the first edition, like I said, all of that setting material is told in like documentary format, like compiled clips and old interviews mm-hmm. about you know, here's what life was like back when we were under this regime.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Back in the battle,
1: tape Yeah. Uh,
0: and and who, are the, who do the players play as? Like, as aliens or as humans or some of both?
1: You have the option. Like, yeah, you, you, you play as either. Okay. So you can sort of step into the role of the aliens or the humans. It's funny. Like, most of the times that I've, like, run one-shots or anything at conventions, like, I tend to think a lot more of the human side. Mm-hmm like I end up most of my like characters for the players end up being, um, earthlings mm. uh, who are sort of experiencing the aliens for the first time. Uh, cause the, the subculture of the revolutionary music, you know, they know that there's these people who they say they're aliens, you know, but it's yeah. never really clear to the world as a whole, whether that's like, uh, like an act that they're putting on or like,
0: oh, just a cool. cultural
1: thing. But, you know, at some point, somebody's going to have to be like, oh, oh, you're you're legitimately an alien. You know, like, yeah, I kind of like that reveal. But I, yeah, thought you guys characters were just, together. I thought you guys were just East Coast alien core.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: The the, the the core thing is that the characters are all part of this revolutionary culture. They they can be the they, they can be directly recruited in like the largest sort of resistance group called Velvet which is specifically a nonviolent, very musical focused revolutionary network. Mm. But there's also a counterpart to them called the blue army, which is, you know, directly there. They believe in a lot more direct action. Let's say they're uh, they, they, they don't shy away from violence. They, um, mm. they sometimes see like regular people who sort of agree with the ministry as, you know, legitimate targets of their wrath and stuff like that. So, um, you have these two groups out there. They're like they're one of those like seventy-five percent of the time they're the enemy, but twenty-five percent of the time you have to work with them kind of things. Yeah. But the, yeah, the important thing is that the characters are all part of this this revolutionary movement.
0: Oh, cool. And so the movement is operating through it sounds like music and nonviolent kind of protest.
1: Yeah. Rock and roll sells itself. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually one of like one of the things that we're focusing on, like sort of on the rules side of things is mm-hmm directly representing that in in the system you know the in the 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 first version was sort of in the mold of a lot of games from the 90s and early aughts where it's like we're gonna present a setting to you and you can go nuts you can do with it what you want mm, yeah and lately we've been looking to a lot of games that are a little bit more structured on sort of like the campaign or series level of things you know like I said when I personally run games I'm always thinking of campaigns I'm not really thinking of one shots a lot Uh it's sort of the mindset that i'm in so we have now we're working on making it so that in the game you do defeat the regime like over the course of playing it in the like quote standard mode you're actually fighting back against them using your music and using your fame and using like various revolutionary tactics to
2: weaken and then eventually topple them so like because you're, a- you're you- actually supposed to win the game kind of yeah if you set out to change the world the game should let you change the world yeah. If that's the reason your party gets out of bed in the morning then.
0: Yeah, for sure. What kind of systems are inspiring the uh the campaign play that you're looking at?
1: So, it started more with just like sort of being clear with ourselves about what our goals were and then looking to systems that sort of worked well with that. Um, mm. this is it's kind of the opposite of the way we planned the original one where we're like, let's make a game like the <laughs> game, you know, that like kind of operates like the games we're playing, but mm-hmm. just- things whereas now i was like and some of this came from like reviews of the game that way back when that you know people were saying the group should be if you're a band you should be collaborating like a band number one that like this idea of like the group doing stuff as a unit should be there that we wanted this like i say this campaign structure and uh and we want the sort of interpersonal relationships the role-playing within the group to matter because like You know, even if you're playing, like, D&D or a lot of other games, if you stop and think about it, most of the role-playing happens between the players and not really between the players and, like, some NPC. So we want to make that actually a sort of rich experience. And then we went to look for games that sort of operated in a similar space. So, you know, I started reading Blades in the Dark. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a game I would have loved to play before starting this process, but... um, (laughs) Uh, Whoops. time didn't quite allow, uh, yeah. your, your episode on Spire caused me to pick that up. Um, uh, oh, I yeah. thought that was, uh, really, really good. Uh, I guess also your episode on Axon punk, uh, picked that up. Okay. You know, these, these games all sort of fell into this like vague category that did similar things. Right. And so that's what we we're looking to as far as like the design goes. I definitely cribbed, of. Uh, Lot of the basic mechanics from like one roll engine, um, mm-hmm. just for how like to do the cooperation and things like that.
0: Very cool. Yeah, as you're pointing out some of those systems, I can see how more and more games really are focused on that on that campaign play, on having like that long term goal that you're able to chip away at. That's very cool. Uh, and then I want to talk one other thing about the the original version here of of Star Children mechanics wise. You're you're using playing cards. Yep, we talked about that a little bit. So yeah, wh- where did that come from?
1: Th- this is this is a good example of the uh, of, of how back then we were like, let's take games that we like and do stuff that they're doing rather than let's figure out what we want to do and then build off of that mm-hmm. um, the i think the specific thing the specific games i was looking at when we were, were coming up with this playing card thing were castle Falkenstein and the a game that i think nobody ever bought but me tsr did a different version of dragon lance that used a special like tarot type card deck oh and like the things that we wanted to uh, like the things that i liked about that which aren't like weren't very compatible with the setting that we we're constructing mm-hmm. was that like i like the idea that you have a hand of cards and if something is really important to you you can use a high card and if something is not as important to you you can use a low card yeah and stuff like that and like giving the players that choice was a
2: cool thing i don't think it was executed very well
0: though.
2: Yeah. yeah cards are cards are very finicky And there's some systems where it just feels natural to use. And there's some systems where it just kind of makes things a little slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't realize then. And,
1: you know, another big thing that we're doing now is like much more like small scale play tests of individual mechanics. Uh, The old version was, I feel safe admitting not really play tested very much at all. Um, That's
2: (laughs) fair. It was play
1: in that like we sat down and played it. Yeah. more than fairy meat. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we sat down and played it and we're like, okay, well, that was good. But by the time you sit down and do that, so much stuff is set in stone that you really can't go back and change fundamentals about it. Yeah. So like a huge help was when some friends here convinced me that I should go to Metatopia and bring the game, even though it was in like an absolutely embryonic stage uh, mm-hmm. last year. And one that sort of provided like a kick in the ass to... Play test some things personally here among friends, uh, just to get things ready for that. But also that like getting more people to look at things in a, in a very, very early state was super helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I should have gone to Metatopia. <laughs> you'll go, you'll go this year. Yeah.
0: It is a very good con. You
2: know, and, and anytime you're just surrounded in creativity, it's just really good for you.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very good feeling. I cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk, I guess, about how um, how you came back to it. But when when you put out Star Children initially back in early two thousands, like, how did you feel about it? Did it do what you wanted it to do?
1: I was one very happy that we'd actually you know accomplished it. Two, people really people who saw it thought it was you know thought the 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 concept and the idea were were great, and so it was it was neat to see people really taking to that and like and the fact that they it really took, like, just that little synopsis that that we said earlier. That's all it takes, really, for people to, like, entirely get it. And three, like, seeing all the things that were... People were inspired to do things that were not the game itself. Like, everyone wanted to take that and do their own bizarro rock opera thing. And, like, we're still running into people who, like... Somebody was telling me at a convention this winter about like a star children inspired LARP that they did. That was, oh wow! it was a complete departure from anything like specific to the game, but like, mm-hmm. it was very clearly in the same vibe. Like that stuff was great. Like that's, and that's one of the things that caused us to like come back and, and revisit it. Uh, the other side of it was we, we, we did like kind of come out with it and you know, every review kind of said the same thing. Here's a, here's a great concept. The execution isn't, isn't fantastic. The reviewers were coming up with much cooler ideas uh, <laughs> uh, for some of this stuff. You know, my favorite, I, I think still the best review of it was uh, Ken Height, who said and holds to it this day, this is a really great game. I can't wait till they finish it, mm. which was entirely fair. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so we're finishing it.
0: Cool. All right. So let's let's talk about what it's been like trying to finish it. What brought you guys back to it?
2: Well, we always meant to. It's one of those things where, I mean, I think it's pretty rare that someone's happy with something that they've made. Um,
0: Yes, very fair.
2: Even if it's done, if you've put a bow on it, you're still going to every once in a while walk past it and be like, Mm -hmm. could use more flames on the side. (laughs) So it was only really like a matter of time in that respect. And uh, I think just kind of the stars sort of aligned and we felt like we should do this again. Well, then it's
1: just like, the entire experience of 2016, right? Like, yeah. So 2016 starts with, technically, I guess it's, you know, we'd say it started when Lemmy died. And then David Bowie died shortly thereafter. Like, we're seeing all of these, like, yeah, everything that everybody saw. Like, you know, everyone starts doing these, like, looks back at David Bowie's career and then Prince's career. And you're seeing all of this stuff. And at the same time, literally seeing a proto-fascist government mm-hmm. come into being in the United States. We're just kind of like... Okay, I guess it's I guess it's this time again. Um,
2: it, it really felt like the world had a writer strike, and the people <laughs> they were and the people they were bringing on were just angry writers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it yeah. was. It was it's like the world entered a new uh, a new network or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it it does kind of feel like that. <laughs> <sighs>
1: and I mean, like. Uh, I don't know if it was related or not. Like, we also just kept like either friends or friends of friends, or like kept hearing like weird oblique references to the game, and like it came up on a couple podcasts that some friends of mine listened to, mm-hmm. and, like mm-hmm. uh, recommended that we had to listen to. And so, like, clearly the interest was not just there for us.
0: I like that because I, I like I like that you brought up that you're never going to be satisfied with something that you even if it's finished. You know, I think that's a, a common struggle for creatives of all types is they can't bring themselves to stop editing or stop fussing or stop doing something.
2: Yeah, that's the, the hardest thing in the world is to, to say I'm done.
0: Yeah. And and it's what is interesting to me is how do you tell the difference then, I guess, between that compulsion to to continue picking at something and the universe saying, no, you do it over, you know, but it, it, it sounds like, yeah, this is more than just, oh, I can't stop playing with this. It's just it, we we need to do another one.
1: Yeah, it, like the, the parts that of the original that we would, were to continue tinkering with anything were, were simple enough to just move over into, into something entirely new. The length of time, uh, between those two is important. And, you know, also we had just logistical issues. Like I literally cannot open. The layout files of the original <laughs> version <laughs> anymore. When we finally made a PDF, I had to cut a book open with an exacto knife and then run it through my scanner at work. Oh, <laughs> um,
2: like,
1: uh, so there would have been very little we could salvage, even in that that logistical
2: sense. Yeah, so, and all the artwork was on a reel to reel. Uh yeah. Um, uh, they, <laughs> The only, the only computer
0: that would be amazing.
2: <laughs> the only computer that could read it is in a museum. We had to sneak into. After well, there's hours. the woodcuts too. Ooh. Yeah, the
1: ancient woodcuts. Yeah,
2: yeah. The woodcuts were well. We had mites, and uh, <laughs> so some of the woodcuts had to be thrown out.
1: So yeah it was it was i mean there was the more if, if this had been it would have been a different story if like things had come together in like two thousand ten or something like that, but this was this was definitely a far enough remove
0: awesome, yeah, the obsolescence of technology has saved us from ourselves, so
2: <laughs> yeah, basically well, and also the <laughs> amount of the amount of life you go through in that the span of time it,
1: yeah.
2: it even if even if your skill as a writer or artists hasn't improved since then which i think that's not true for either of us but even if your skill level has been like static mm-hmm. you're, you're just more informed about what it is to be a person every year and uh you know like you watch bands do it when they go from age 15 to age 25 yeah so sort of the the world of star children in my head is a lot better now or more um more well conceived i would say yeah
0: yeah i, I like I like that. And that's half of what we're talking about with with updating this game is part of it is the world itself, the lore of the game, the spirit of the game, and then the mechanics, it sounds like, got an overhaul as well. So where do you start?
1: (laughs) So the evolution of the setting and the presentation, I mean, that has to some degree, kind of been happening this entire time. Like, you know, this world has existed, at least, you know, obviously, people are playing the game, I assume, (laughs) Uh, like, sort of in our heads, we've, and in conversations, we've been like, we know now kind of what we would have done differently, you know, and that stuff. So that's been like, sort of evolving over time, the, you know, the mechanics and stuff, that's something where like, there was definitely a clean break, because like, that's, that's like completely thrown out and and mm. rebuilt from scratch. So the setting is is evolved. It's changed, but it's
2: not a complete redo. I would say. Yeah, we didn't have to okay. murder too, too many darlings setting wise.
0: <laughs> That's good. Just just grew them up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do Do you want to talk about some specifics about how the setting is different?
2: Sure. There's. I I think I um I would say. Well, definitely why the ministries of culture exist in the first place is a little a little more thought out. Mm. So in the original, it was kind of just like, it was like your average rock dystopia where the authorities had decided rock was bad. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they'd brought on like Dr. Mindbender and he's like, rock is bad because I, I'm part of this 80s bad guy run by a bad Thatcher analog. Uh-huh. And now we know that that's not really, or not, I wouldn't say in the real world, that's Although maybe it is. But in the world of Star Children, uh, it's a little more nuanced than that. A lot of it is just people people rolling with anything that comes their way and accepting that, you know, some stuff the government says is not good. So we'll just not do that stuff. And the reason that the government says it's not good isn't, isn't because of some voodoo where, like, some guy with a, a music machine told them that this music turned out evil, so we need to ban this music. But it's kind of like that in that it's – they're trying to limit expression because they've found that that doesn't work so well in – a cultural dictatorship. So lots of things are banned, mm-hmm. but they're banned, but they're banned for the reason they've always been banned. And it's not necessarily why they say it's being banned, but sure. you, you only have to look at other countries where they're just like, yeah, this stuff makes people a little too, uh, a little too confident.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or look at what some people are saying in this country. Like it's like, it's, it is kind of our, like, essentially now we're a lot more aware that like it is easier to get the masses behind these terrible ideas and movements
2: yeah. yeah, and they'll and they'll say, "Oh, this cartoon has people who like each other a little too much. It's clearly got some hidden agenda." And then they'll just start like, <laughs> and and you'll say like, "That's not true at all. It's a cartoon." But there's there's that.
0: But think of the children.
2: Yeah, yeah. and and when I was a kid, it was just like, "Well, if you play the stuff backwards, it has magic electrons in it that will like go into your kids' brain and rearrange it." <laughs> and now it's more like now it's it's more like, "Well, this stuff is just part of a wide reaching conspiracy to to subtly corrupt your kids' expectations of how people should be in a way that doesn't suit the way we think people should be. And that's why all our kids are being so weird these days. (laughs) And that's a a little more like what they're doing in the Ministry of Music, or all the ministries Mm -hmm. of culture is just kind of, they know that art tends to change minds, and they really don't want any more minds changing right now. Thank you very much. Yeah, that would
0: be inconvenient.
2: Rather than some kind of Emotion manipul- uh, manipulating mind control signal or something. It's just, you know, art bad for the same reason that the same people have always thought art was bad.
0: Yeah, and and honestly, that's very scary. From, Rich, what you and I were talking about, it sounds like the, like, like the music in the game, too, the influences there are updated a bit, too, or uh, broadened maybe a little.
1: Yeah, updated is not. I mean, some of it's updated, yeah. some of it's just that when we were 22 years old and living in the suburbs, we, we had a lot narrower, uh, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. you know, access to things. We were, you know, we were listening to, you know, mixtapes of David Bowie and T-Rex and Iggy Pop and the Velvet Underground Mm -hmm. and not being very honest. our, 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 musical influences were very, very white,
2: um, <laughs> well, <laughs> even, even then, uh, a lot of it was just that we wanted to, we were, we we're trying to use the music genre as part of the setting. So we focused mm-hmm. on one or two, uh, just because we didn't think the others fit into it so well, just kind of stylistically.
1: Yeah. We, we cut, we cut a very narrow slice and this time we're like, we're broadening that out. And we're also just recognizing the music that even the music that we were, even that narrow slice had influences that were elsewhere that all still very much fell into sort of like a broader penumbra of good influences to to bring in so you know we're expanding that out uh if you know one of the things that we've been talking about doing as part of like the promotion is doing sort of a semi-regular uh velvet generation playlist on spotify yeah and uh we're we're building the collections of things that we're going to reference in there and like you know there's a lot more i'd say like funk influences especially like the fact that there's (laughs) there was there was there was no george clinton representation in the original at all um major oversight definitely going to be corrected there um there was
2: there
0: Okay, there yeah.
1: was some prints in there. Yeah. Yeah. There was, but, um, but that's, that's basically yeah. glam rock. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And well, and, and, you know, speaking of like technological obsolescence, like when we go delving for a musical inspiration on this, like we have Spotify now, which is just like, <laughs> yeah, so much. And obviously not everything is on Spotify, but way more is on Spotify than like, than we had time or money to come through used CD stores uh, in 2002 sure so it's a lot easier to be like look at musical links from one to the other like let an auto generated playlist go out and then go and research those artists i think we found a lot of things
2: oh yeah i used to rely on the listening booths at tower records so much Mm -hmm. yeah and i'd be like guys, I found this one Japanese band. And and now it's just like you fall asleep with your headphones on and you wake up and you've just listened to 300 Japanese bands. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's a it's a brighter world in that respect.
0: Yeah. And my assumption, although correct me if I'm wrong, like groups that play Velvet Generation, though, they can kind of lean in to whatever areas, whatever like groupings of music are, are more interesting or relevant to them, right? Oh, yeah.
1: for sure. Yeah. Um, I Absolutely. mean, we have a lot. There's not... Surprisingly, there's a large proportion of like Rush fans who are into this game. We both appreciate Rush. We're not huge Rush fans, but a lot Rich, of people. Rich, for the pick, record, Rich appreciates Rush. Okay, I appreciate Rush. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like a lot of people pick up this game and they're like, oh my god, this is like 2112, the role-playing game. And I'm like, sure, you know, that's yeah. cool. Um, uh, one guy did uh, specifically show up to Metatopia for one of the playtests in like a vintage Rush t-shirt. You know? <laughs> and that's cool. It's not a hundred percent what goes through our heads, but that's that's one of the things that's great about this, is that you can you can kind of latch onto a lot of different I mean, there's a big like like a lot of like metal heads are into it too, because like mm-hmm. the idea of like music-based mythology and sci-fi and all that stuff, like they're they're already in that world. And I'm like
0: oh, sure. this is
1: not a metal game, but you can totally <laughs> be a metal head and like yeah. put your own spin on it. Like people, I would really, really love for this game to come out and see people just taking it in a million different directions based on I their want to, musical
2: preferences. I want to witness a polka revolution. There we go.
0: Yeah. Same. Uh, I would, I would be down for that. I want to talk a little bit too while we're talking about how sort of the the lore and the culture of the game has has changed. We talked a bit about like character representation. Yeah, what has that been like?
1: So, from what we could see when the game originally came out, and like the the audience that was attracted to it, it got it was pretty well received by like LGBT gaming communities Mm -hmm. we got a lot of positive feedback to the extent that you know we were getting feedback at all there wasn't really this you didn't have as much of a direct connection between uh you know the creators and the audience back then but like everything that we saw was very positive (laughs) like it uh generally was seen as pretty pretty good representation for the time and the funny thing is when you go back and you look at something that was pretty good for the time in 2002 Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't look as good in today's light, I think a lot of yeah. the community has gotten better at a lot of representation since then. I, hopefully, we have as well. But you know, like the mm-hmm. like as an example, one thing that really, really stands out is that the largely inspired by like you know the very androgynous look and aesthetic of a lot of glam. The aliens, the Star Children, they are you know they, they their species has neither a biological nor a cultural gender or sex at all. Any presentation, any gender presentation that they have comes from the fact that they have idolized humanity to the point where they have mm. altered their bodies to look like the representations that they saw of us.
0: Um, oh yeah.
1: Okay. So they, you know, at, at the very least they are limited shapeshifters. They change over time themselves Uh, And then at some levels, like they can, with certain, whatever powers they have, uh, can radically alter their appearance and a lot of their biology and stuff like that. And I believe that some people picked up on that as like, you know, good positive representation of like Mm non-binary, non-binary gender identification. And and that was great. Uh, Today, like I go back or we go back and we look at this book and we're like, we have just said that non-binary gender representation is alien. Like we don't have (laughs) humans who are, it's, it's not that the human humans who are non-binary aren't represent, aren't represented at all. And like, like today, if you picked up a book like that, you would kind of just be like, well, what are you really saying
2: here? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. and and even that aside, um, just uh taking one aspect of humanity and deciding that entire alien civilization is that is kind of star Trek. Like it's kind of (laughs) hopey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, this is a civilization where people go to war over fruits. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is a civilization where all we care about is selling used cars. And it's
1: like, oh really?
2: Yeah. And then on top of that, like, you know, the, the Star
1: Children are we didn't intend them to be stand-ins for any particular group of people except rock stars. They yeah. are they are like these hyper evolved, uh, uh very specific caricatures of rock stars and a lot of the things about them sort of fall from that so the other side the other thing that sort of lays on top of that is like there's a lot of very negative things about the star children too that we don't necessarily want to say that we're imprinting upon any group of people like the star children are emotionally fickle they 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 change their minds about things a lot they are susceptible they're more susceptible to drug addiction than humans uh (laughs) they there's a lot of Things that, like, if you were to read this and be like, "Oh, this is their representation of this group of people," and "Oh my god, what are they saying here?" So that's one of the things that we're we're definitely looking to address. Not that it was like, not that at the time it was terrible, but like we're just it can be done better.
0: Sure, yeah.
2: And there is also the the characters themselves, the humans that we see in the book, um, and and it's not like we have a big you know section of the book saying this character is trans or anything like that, but it was pretty obvious that all of the people in the, the game were just kind of norm, like, like, uh, all the people in the game were like just cis straight rock fan people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't go too much into the individual lives of any given NPC or anything like that, but you definitely came away with the impression and you wouldn't be wrong that any, uh, non binary stuff was the aliens and everything else. Yeah. And everything else was gloomy. McNormal world. <laughs> and that's not necessarily how the world is or how it should be in the game because that's weird. Also the art, a lot of the art was I I had a really loose policy with uh, art design, not mm-hmm. too loose, but you know, when you see like a casting call and it's like, we need a guy with like a two inch mustache. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, draw a guy running away from another guy or something like that. I would never say, make him look like this rock star or, anything like that. The most I got to controlling what things looked like were what ministry uniforms looked like. And even then I was kind of open. I was like, picture a dystopian riot cop with all black. And that was about it. And so all the art we got was largely just kind of about as representational as comic books once were, where it was just a a bunch of white dudes, which isn't bad, it was good art,
0: but but you
2: kind of have to be a little more proactive than that or else you're just going to get a bunch of white dudes back, especially with artists who aren't talking to each other. Mm. You know, if you this is the only illustration in the book, I'm going to make it look like me and my friends, and then you wind up with uh, a whole book that looks like it's populated by gamers. Well, not not <laughs> gamers, but uh, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it, it, it's something that you have to actually think about, or else what kinds – because when I was a kid, I was always drawing comic books, right? And the hero always looked like me because mm. I'm drawing comic book, and I'm eight. Yeah. And the villain usually looked like me with, like, a skull helmet. because I'm drawing comic books and I'm eight. And as you look around, as you grow up, you see like, wait a minute, there's like 3 million kinds of people to draw and there's not just me and my cat. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to talk about um, the art.
0: Well, Yeah.
2: You have to have some intention in that respect, I think, or else you're just kind of being lazy.
0: Yeah. It sounds like your, your outlook and policy kind of on that has changed for this for the new version.
2: Well, it's just it's just kind of like it's more of a it's it's more on my mind. Yeah. Before I was just like we need art and that looks beautiful and it's great. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like there's a lot of different ways I want the art to work and yeah. Nice. We need the we need the representation to be better in the art basically.
0: Yeah. Is that is uh, the art process—something that you're working on already?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm already just writing up illustrations that we're going to need. Uh, some of the some of the old illustrations are still going to make it into this one because they're just really good, solid illustrations that not enough people saw. But mm-hmm. most of it is going to be just fresh new art because I feel like our our vision is grown enough that uh, it needs it needs a little boost there.
0: Very cool. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit briefly about the mechanics. So, does it still use cards?
2: No, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Or no. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: so the, uh, the Pop-O-Matic bubble. It's, yeah. it's on you.
0: <laughs> Ooh, nice. No. <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, we switched to we you know, we we switched to a dice-based system that's it's it's frankly it's more accessible, it's faster, you know, uh, all that stuff. I wasn't entirely uh, opposed to cards. Part of the difference in uh, the mechanics process here is uh, like I said, we, we wanted to know what our goals were first and then build something that works with those goals uh, rather than Mm -hmm. just come up with some mechanics that are neat. Like, Oh, you could make characters like this. Uh, Like we're actually pretty far in the design process and still don't know how to make characters, um, which Mm -hmm. I think is really cool. Like uh, (laughs) uh, it's been very (laughs) liberating to do that. So yeah, we switched to dice and the, 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 the big goal that we had was we wanted things to feel very collaborative Uh, And we wanted to build it so that, so that any, so like the musical performance system was kind of what everything hung around and everything else Mm -hmm. are descended from that. It's not to the point where there are no rules for violence or combat or anything like that, but it is, but the goal was that like, we wanted to make it that any rules like that felt like, it was like the rules for fighting felt like the rules for music rather than the other way around um yeah. mm. that we weren't focused on that primarily so the collaboration aspect being central uh sort of led us to i don't know like should i talk about like specifics about the rules or just sort of the process
0: yeah you can talk about specifics
1: so the the, the core the core mechanic of it essentially is uh sounds a lot like like i said the one roll engine uh, because you're rolling some dice and you're trying to you're matching them into groups and then those you're sort of spending those groups on actions that you're doing. Uh so alterations or deviations from that we're using six sided dice. Uh so essentially uh as a player you're going to roll some number of dice, you're going to you have to throw away all the ones, ones don't count. Sorry ones. Yeah. Uh you form them into into groups and then like the more dice in a set the better and then the higher the number the better. So like three threes is better than Three twos, but three twos is better than two sixes. So it just sort of goes up like that, sort of like poker hands. Mm. And you know, you roll the dice, you spend them on the action, and the better you do, the better you do. But the the way you usually use this, if you're in a group, is everybody decides what they're doing, everybody rolls their dice at the same time, and then you take turns doing your thing. So you're succeeding or failing as an individual. You're kind of like, I spend my three threes, I I, I win at the at playing guitar here. Uh, but when you go, you can either take one of the dice that you just used and put it in the middle of the table. So I play my three threes and I put it in the middle of the table in like a group pool. Now, after I do that with that three out there, you know, and somebody else might go and put a, they might end up putting a two in and you, you build these like, uh, this little pool of resources in the middle that anybody can then go and pick up and use. So oh, I play nice. my threes out of my two threes And if somebody else has one, three, now they can take their one, three, combine it with the one with the three that left behind. Now they have two. So they succeeded where they would have failed. So every single individual person, yes, you're succeeding or failing on your own, but everything you do is either helping the group or being helped by the group. So the collaboration happens automatically.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it's one of the things like we, we did consider like using open systems that are out there that are available to use we decided Mm -hmm. not to do that one because I think we weren't terribly familiar with a lot of them. You know, we don't play fate games and stuff like that uh, here uh, a lot. It's a great game. Don't just, not what we're doing. Um, And two, that like a, a lot of the options out there, like when you have a game system that gives players the ability to help each other, it's like, Oh, you can use your action to help me which means that you don't really get to do something this turn. And you're really kind of only ever doing it if, like, you don't have any better option. Uh, In this case, like, since you're – it's just a constant flow of collaboration and cooperation between the players, Mm. it
2: feels much more natural. Well, it also feels like when musicians play together. Right. The drummer doesn't just walk over to the guitarist and start strumming strings with him. Like, but he totally energizes him with his – he energizes him with his – work. They, 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 everyone kind of energizes each other and that's, that's what a bunch of musicians do together. Yeah.
1: But yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what I was saying about like, you know, the way that this, we're not avoiding writing rules for violence, but we're just, we're, we're making it descended from that. So if the characters do get into a fight, you know, we're, we're having the person who like hits the, you know, the riot cop over the head with their guitar Uh, is not doing it necessarily... I mean, they're doing it to, like, you know, whatever, cause some damage, maybe not somebody out if they can do that. But they're also doing it because they're creating an opening for their friend to run away. So they're Mm -hmm. throwing that die in. So, like, you are collaborating... Whether it's in a fight or whether you're sneaking past a security guard or any of that stuff, you're collaborating in the same way that the band collaborates with music, and that's just always part of the game. Uh, and then the other thing was the interpersonal relationships. You know, we do want this like sort of I think Scott's a v- VH1 behind the music feel between groups. The other way that players uh, can collaborate and help work together is that every every character at the table. Uh, has some relationship to every other character. And the relationship can either be friend, lover, or rival. And cool. those relationships. Which are not always mutual. Yeah, they're not always mutual. So, uh, so I could see somebody as a lover, and they could see me as a friend or a
2: rival. I've never been in that <laughs> position. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: nope, never happened. But that, like this actually affects the rules because, um, you know, in addition to using this like group pool thing, if you are if you have a relationship to another character that is lover. Uh, that lets you take one of your dice after you've rolled it and just give it to them. So if you see that they have one three, you can give them one of your threes. If they are a friend, you can give it to them, but you have to roll it to them. So you're giving them a random chance mm. of helping out. And if they're your rival, you can take a die from them without their permission. And these are like limited use. And like, so once you use them, you refresh them by doing something in the role playing that reinforces that relationship. So once I've used my rival to steal a die from you after that scene is over, I have to do something where I'm like actively kind of a dick to you uh, to to get that, (laughs) to get that ability back. Or I need to like express my love to somebody in order to get that, that lover relationship back to be able to use it. So that's like, that's where we want to, we want to make this like, you know, that like sort of ensemble cast role playing where you're like, you're constantly causing Little bits of drama between the group in order to like get a, a mechanical effect.
2: To yeah, it there as well. There could be a situation where someone's your rival, and uh, so you take their die, but they think that you're in love, and so they're oh. and so they're okay with it. And that's <laughs> and that's you, you gotta dump him.
0: Oh, just move on. Oh no, I love it so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that also comes out in the in the role playing, of course, because oh. it, it is a role playing game. So. Yeah. Obviously, you, you're, you're, <laughs> your 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 relationship with someone might change between shows. Oh yeah. Ooh,
0: <laughs> that's interesting too.
2: And uh, and you and you could say that really made me mad. I think you're my rival now. Ooh. And then yeah. I mean, there's there's like there's
1: more system like the music is. But, you know, the actual rules for, like, performing music are kind of on par with what the combat system would be in a lot of other games. Uh, So there's a lot more Mm -hmm. to it. But, you know, that's all very finicky stuff. Sure, sure. And also, I don't want to say too much about it because it could change.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and also, yeah, people need to to play it and find out. Yeah. (laughs) Which, actually, through – I don't know how much playtesting you've done of it so far – but I I imagine some. Does it feel like a very different game?
2: From the original? Yeah. Oh, definitely. yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Uh, Being in in a band used to be kind of, it felt mechanical. Mm -hmm. The way a lot of games feel mechanical, you know, it's all uh, an abstraction. But when you've got like four people looking around them, looking at ways they can help or hurt each other, but also working together to get something done, that's something that I think is really nailed this time. That wasn't quite so nailed last time.
0: Nice. And Richard, I wanted to mention something that you said in the email that I really liked about how violence is sort of an option.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So I completely forgot about this. So this is a little bit more in flux because it was designed uh, more recently. But like the fighting mm-hmm. system. So one of the like more subtle themes of the game, because we have these these revolutionary groups, Blue Army and Velvet, is that and and Blue Army isn't explicitly an antagonist you know they're not always the bad guys right but they're they're violent they do a lot of bad stuff so you know like one of the themes about that is like when you're conducting this revolution how much violence do you sort of accept into your life and How much do you commit to it if, if you're going to do that? So like, this is not a completely nonviolent game. And we're reflecting that in the, in the rules, uh, in what is hopefully an interesting, uh, way in that, like, when you're, when you are fighting, uh, when, when things do come to blows, uh, we wanted different types of, conflict to feel very different we don't want the uh fist fight in the alley behind the bar to just be a lesser version of like gun a running gunfight like the scene from heat you know like that that fist fight you should be able to sort of casually involve you know uh, casually engage in a little bit of violence like that because that's that's a super mm. rock and roll thing to do
2: otherwise no one would ever survive a punk show right
1: <laughs> the mosh <much> pit <laughs> is just just yeah, <laughs> bloodbath man. at the end. Um, so the, the way that we the way that we do this is there's always – violence any any sort of action that you take that that is hurting somebody has a level of stakes and the stakes can be rough, uh, which is just like whatever it's that's that fist fight behind the bar, bloody, which is where like maybe somebody picks up a pipe or something like that, and then deadly, which is like any any time guns are involved. The fight is deadly.
2: Yeah the minute the minute one gun shows up in the scene, the entire yeah everything period, changes
1: change. basically. Uh, and and what happens there is like, let's say there's a fight scene, you know, whatever. Like, it starts out it's just fist fights, uh, and then one person is like sort of backed into a corner and they pull out a knife. Uh, that person is now their actions to hurt somebody are now bloody stakes. Uh, so if they hurt somebody, mm. it's much more serious. There's there's just bigger consequences, but. The flip side to that is, when you pull that knife, all of the stakes against you also become bloody. You basically you have decided to raise the bar to this point, to where you now kind of put your life on the line. And if you pull out a gun, like now you can die, even if your opponents only are like slapping you around, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. So it, it it's the the goal is that is that idea of like I have decided that death is on the line, which means that my death is also on the line.
0: Yeah. And good.
1: that's like, there's not a lot of like narrative mechanics in this, but that's kind of one of them where like, you know, you, if you're seeing this scene on a TV show, you know, the point where somebody pulls out the gun, the music changes, you know, mm-hmm. and like that person might end up, you know, just getting like beaten up, but they're going to drop the gun and it'll shoot them in the chest or something, you know, like something like that. Right, um, right, And like, the, we haven't playtested the combat as much, but like the times that we've done that, we're like, we're now going to test what the, what it's like when this happens. Like when you say that the NPC pulls out a gun, like the tone changes at the table. Scott, you were actually a player in that playtest,
2: so you know. Yeah, horrible. no, it, it's absolutely just like a just like it would be in a story, which is what I like. Um, <laughs> if you were watching a you know a rock movie or something and someone pulled out a gun, it would be one of yeah. those it would be one of those moments where things changed from a moment ago. Yeah. To something completely different.
1: And then also, when, even in the playtest, where the characters sort of like, quote, won the fight after their enemies pulled out a gun, they're now standing over a dead body. And it's like, oh, well, we won the fight, but now? Oh,
2: God, (laughs) what are we going to do? Now our band is a murderer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And some bands might be okay with that. Yeah. But it's wrong.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think of, of all the talk that we've done about updating the game for the modern climate, I feel like that's. Probably one of the the biggest, the most hardest hitting change I think to me personally, just reading how that that affects players is just oof.
1: Yeah, and and it's 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 the sort of thing where like one of the reactions that I saw from reviews of the original game, it made the legitimate criticism that like fighting is too much of a part of this game. You know, that's cool, but like it sort of swung the other oh. direction where you know there were people saying, well, there should be no rules for violence. And if you get into a fight, you just lose or you run away or something. Oh yeah. uh, Well, I'll talk about, we can talk about running away or not. Um, Like you should get into a fight and you're just going to lose. And I'm like, I, I feel that that, that kind of pushes it too far because it it has this effect of like, when the consequences are so bad, you're Mm -hmm. basically making it so that you won't engage in it. Whereas what we have here, like the cops showing up and busting your show and hitting people over the head with clubs is a real threat because you know that the GM isn't ending the game by doing it. (laughs) You know, like you don't just say like, well, the cops show up and you're in jail for the rest of your lives. Um, Right. So you don't want to completely excise it. Um, And I, I, I think this feels like a good balance.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think when you are doing that kind of revolutionary rebellious movement sort of thing, like you you do weigh the consequences of when, if and when, you know, is it appropriate?
2: Well, yeah, oppressors always trivialize the use of force. So if you are are even resisting a little, uh, that kind of thing is going to be something that might come your way very quickly. So you can't just pretend it's a world with no fights when someone like the ministries are in charge. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And you also can't read something about like this, you know, oppressive police state and that never where violence is never part of the story and then (laughs) look at the new and look outside your window today because Uh it sort of takes our, like, if the world, if the game worked that way, our attempt at making this horrible dystopian future would be more optimistic than the present day. And you can't have that. Yeah. That's depressing.
0: (laughs) Well, um, maybe something slightly less depressing. (laughs) Uh, the hardest thing of any project is naming it so the the original version of the game is star children and this this updated where you're calling velvet generation but there's a little more to it
1: yeah so um yeah <laughs> so so the originally it was star children colon velvet generation subtitle mm. uh, and this time we sort of we decided to make velvet generation the title for there's a few reasons the most basic of which is that since two thousand and two, it has become very, very hard to Google the word "star children" uh, and oh, wow. get anything reliable whatsoever. We've got the the new age movement uh, has has uh, taken that term. You know, yes. it's star children are the next evolution of the Indigo Children. Definitely read uh, if you're listening because that's great reading. Uh, we it's read
0: so good.
1: So there's that. And also the thing that kept showing up in my Google alerts, which I think think is great, is there is a reality show, I believe, in India called Star Kids, which is sort of a talent show, but for children, Mm, Um, which whenever I was doing any sort of Google alerts for it, I kept getting like episode recaps of Star Kids from India. I think that's a show they
2: might be bringing to the US. (laughs) it It would be cool if in the game there was an alien who went to India and was a uh, was sweeping the the children's uh, rock reality show mm-hmm. circuit. There we go. Um, <laughs> well, the the person that I see talking about
1: this a lot in social media is actually Bootsy Collins. So Bootsy, a literal embodiment of Star Children, like because he's yeah one of the most appropriate Star Children well, characters is, in real life. He's also actually from space. Yeah, he's I yeah mean, he's literally he's from, from space. So it's um, a little on the nose. Uh, but he <laughs> talks about like he he does this on Facebook, like he's always highlighting like really musically talented kids, and he literally calls them star children <laughs> so, and then he's
2: like hit that love button
1: yeah so um i don't wanna I don't wanna step on bootsy's toes at all no but the the other the other thing that is a little bit more kind of a subtle difference here is that because we are making making it intrinsic to the game that you you do defeat the the the, the ministry that you do do the revolution, mm-hmm. and the game is not making the name Star Children. It's kind of like when you play a game called Vampire, and if you are not playing a Vampire, the feeling is like maybe you are not doing it right or you are not doing it as intended. You obviously can in Vampire, so like if you if you make that the name, you think that that's what you are playing. You play the aliens. And we're putting the words velvet generation up front because the point of the game mm. is that you are playing participants in a revolutionary generation. So you are the velvet generation, gotcha. regardless of whether you were born on Earth or came here from space. And we're still there there's probably still going to be a subtitle. We haven't decided exactly what that's gonna be. But uh Electric Boogaloo. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah, we wanted to forefront that as well.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else that we should know about the game?
1: There's a lot of things I like, we 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 could continue to ramble about but probably nothing (laughs) absolutely necessary uh i guess we'll be putting it on kickstarter soon (laughs) Ooh, yeah so having these magical funding uh opportunities available to us that we didn't have uh, in 2002 (laughs) is uh great and also a little intimidating and terrifying Uh, neither of us has run a kickstarter campaign before but yeah i mean we have the website is velvetgeneration.com that's what we have right now uh, the game's available in PDF at Drive Thru RPG. There's a link from the site. That is the aforementioned X-Acto knife sliced up scan of ah. the first edition. Uh, it's sort of available as a pay-what-you-want PDF there. We we can send people physical copies of the books if that's what you're into. Um, we do that as well. And yeah, we're hoping that the Kickstarter will launch sometime in May. Yeah, mm. And okay. so it's it's coming up.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, this this episode should go out sometime in May, so we'll coordinate. Well,
1: if that works out, if you're, if it comes out while the Kickstarter is live, go to the
0: Kickstarter. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah we'll have a link. Uh,
1: you can have um, link um, so we're probably just going to redirect the URL straight to the Kickstarter page during that time, just to cut out any middleman. Awesome.
2: If you're listening to this um, while this Kickstarter is live, uh, just forget about all the rumors you've heard about on CNN and and Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a little
1: hard to tell what life is going to be like even two weeks in the future at this point. So <laughs> uh,
0: that's all right. We'll we'll go and read about Indigo Children because I forgot they existed for a hot minute, and I'm so happy now. Thank you. Uh,
1: <laughs> happy to have served.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've got the website for the game. Um, and is there any place that heroes can find you two on the internet?
1: Well, so the there is there is a Twitter account for the game velvet underscore gen g-e-n velvet generation is just one character too long to be a twitter name the Twitter's not terribly uh active there's a facebook group and a google plus group any sort of announcements about the game will be made there and we're working on getting some sort of like some sort of community where fans can talk to each other too uh but uh, those will be announced on those channels yeah
0: cool well then well then we'll have the uh the links for the game info uh, in the show notes, as usual, so folks can follow along there and hopefully uh, can go back a Kickstarter when this episode comes out. Yeah. Thank you both so much for doing this. This is really cool. Oh,
2: thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks again to Rich and Scott for chatting with me and check out their Kickstarter and other links in the show notes. Heroes, right now the One Shot Network has a fundraiser going on to help out a friend of the network after some intense surgery. We're selling some amazing bonus audio from shows across the network, so get yourself some goodies and help out a friend. Lastly, if you've missed me lately, I am on a couple other shows this week. Check out I Am Here, a project from Tess and the RPG Podcasts. My episode came out Tuesday, and Tess was a delight to chat with about games, podcasting, accessibility, and all the other stuff I'm up to lately. I'm also a guest player this week on She's a Super Geek, and a new voice on the audio drama The Adventures of Arrow Girl. Enjoy those, and I'll see you soon. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier Podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the One-Shot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like One-Shot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neo-Scum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. Adventure is an actual play podcast hosted by Pranks Paul that focuses on generating fan fiction for established books, TV shows, and movies through tabletop gaming. Adventure will feature a rotating cast of players in a variety of media properties. Find out more about all these shows at one Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Kat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at katgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then!